the book of Genesis. If you haven't been with us here the last few weeks, we've been studying the life of Jacob. And it starts out quite fascinating. Jacob meeting Rachel, falling in love with Rachel, wanting to marry Rachel. So Jacob's uncle, also Rachel's father, says we can work this out. You work for me for seven years, you can have Rachel as your wife. So Jacob works seven years for him to get Rachel. But then on the night of the wedding, Laban gives him Leah, Rachel's sister, instead. So obviously Jacob is fooled. So Laban comes back and says, work another seven years and you can have Rachel. So now he has Leah and now he has Rachel. And then they also have the two maidservants. So he now has four wives. They now have 12 or 11 sons between them at this time. And so this is getting worse now with his father-in-law Laban. Things are getting difficult. And last week we talked about, Jacob says it's time to leave. It's time to leave this situation. And that's where we left off last week in our study in Genesis 31, is Jacob taking his boys, taking his four wives, and saying it's time to get out of here so he's going to sneak out. What we have here tonight is his reaction and also his father-in-law's reaction to this happening. We've said this many times before in our studies through Genesis. If you're looking for a character to stop and say, wow, that's what I want to model my life after, you're not going to find too many of those in our study tonight. What you're going to find is really what not to do. Now, I notice with Jacob that he has moments of really being a godly man. He has moments of really seeking the Lord. And he also have moments of extreme flesh. And you'll see that tonight as well, too. So let's jump into this. We left off with Jacob taking his wives and his kids and leaving and fleeing. Verse 22 of Genesis 31 says this, And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey and overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. Now we'll stop right there. Anytime I read this, I always think back to uh, high school math. Verses 22 and 23, like if train A left and train B left three days later, how would they catch up? Laban obviously catches up here. It takes him seven days to catch up to him. So ten days after Jacob had left, Laban catches up to him. Do you ever think what was going through Jacob's mind at this time? I mean, he wanted to get out of there. No goodbyes, no nothing. Get out of there. I mean, would you think by day three, four, five, six, seven that I'm in the clear? week and a half now goes by, and next thing you see coming on the horizon... Here is your father-in-law, and he's probably not coming to say hi. Now, what we have going on, though, in verse 24, we don't know this yet. I shouldn't say Jacob doesn't know this yet. Verse 24, God's hand. God always has your back. If you remember from our study last week, this was an ongoing theme. Look at verse 12 of the same chapter. And he, meaning God, said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks or streaks speckled and gray spotted. Here's the key. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. And that was our key point from last week, is that you may be in a struggle right now. It may be a physical struggle, maybe an emotional struggle, it may be a spiritual struggle. You may feel that no one cares, no one understands, no one gets you. You may have convinced yourself that you are completely alone and nobody is paying attention to you. God sees God, in his divine wisdom, is telling Jacob, verse 12, I see how Laban has mistreated you for 20 years. I've seen it. What we see here in verse 24 is God going to Laban in a dream, basically saying, don't you dare touch him. The Lord, watching out for us, has our back. And what a beautiful picture that is. And I don't know what you're facing here tonight. I don't know what came in with you tonight. Isn't it nice to know that behind the scenes, the Lord is moving and working even when we don't see it? 
You may not see it. You may not get it. If you're looking for a further study on this, I encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of those Old Testament minor prophets that we don't give a lot of attention to. But one of the key points of Habakkuk is this. The first chapter is basically a chapter of whining. Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? Chapter 2, God shows up to Habakkuk and basically says, let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes that you don't even see. What an encouragement it is to know. You may have a loved one that doesn't know Christ, and here you are begging and pleading and crying over this person. The Lord may be bringing a person to that person's life right now to tell them about Jesus. God is moving all these puzzle pieces around. So Jacob is on the run. Laban's overtaking him, but Jacob doesn't know this. Laban has already been warned in a dream, don't touch him. Why did Laban chase him down? Verse 26, and Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives, taken with the sword. Verse 27, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with temporal and harp, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. And in doing it, it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Now let's just stop there for a little bit. We know Laban. Laban is crafty. Any man that is willing to flip his daughters around secretly to get a couple extra years of work out of a guy, not good. We know that after he flipped his daughters around, when him and Jacob made a deal on what animals Jacob's supposed to get, Laban kept changing the deal. We're going to get to that in a little bit. So how does Laban present himself? Verse 26, you've wronged me. Have you ever met somebody like Laban? The way they always start the conversation is how... They have been wronged and hurt by you. So automatically, Jacob's in the wrong. Verse 27, did you catch verse 27? I might have sent you away with joy and songs, the temporal and harp. Gosh, Jacob, I would have thrown you a going away party. I would have done that. Verse 28, you, you, you didn't let me see my grandkids. You didn't let me see my daughters. Boy, that, verse 28, that was really foolish of you, Jacob. And verse 29... Your God, your God even came to me. I, I could really hurt you, Jacob, but I'm such a holy, benevolent man that I won't touch you. But did you catch the real reason? Verse 30. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father, but why did you steal my gods? Let's get to the real reason he chased him down. Verse 30. What we found out is Jacob had household gods. This is very common back during this area. So Laban, excuse me, Laban had household gods. And so these are his little god statues that he had in his house. And what happened is they disappeared. Putting this all together, why did Laban track them down for seven days? He wanted his little god statues back. Now he started out with, I could hurt you, but I won't. I'm good. I miss my kids. I miss my grandkids. And, you know, I'm really nice. I wanted to throw you a party. But really, verse 30, where are my gods? you ever run into somebody who's just completely deceitful? They just completely want to use you? I'm just going to be honest. It's not people out here at Harvest. I don't want to make it sound that way. But being a church in the community, we get calls a lot from people within the community that have nothing to do with the church. They're literally going through the phone book trying to find ways that they can just get help. And let's just be honest, sometimes use and work the system. And you get a chance to know these people because it happens time and time again. And what happens is a lot of times these people come up and they call, and they do a very similar thing. They start out with, how are you doing? Heard great things about the church. God's really moving and working. And I tell you, I'm going to be out there sometime. Okay. Followed by, boy, it's a really tough time right now in my life. This is going on. This is going on. Could you just pray for me? 
Got it, we'll do. Conversation goes a little bit longer, and then finally we get to the point. I, what can you do for me? This is what I need. And it's all this butter up and talk just to get to the point. And sometimes you want to, when they call, just stop and say, cut the chit-chat. You're not popping out here. Sure, I'll pray for you. What do you want? Laban, what do you want? Verse 30, he wants his gods back. That shows his heart. That shows his nature. That's why he tracked them down. Why did you take my gods? Not family, not party, not grandkids, not kids. I want my gods back. Verse 31, Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. My goodness, this is really just a lifetime movie. I mean, it really is. You could just look at this right here and you've got the dad that made the deals. He sold his daughters for years of work. And you got the guy escaping at night. He's tracking down his gods. And who took the gods? His own daughter. His own daughter is the one that stole them. Verse 33, Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tent, but he did not find them. And he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is with me. Her time of the month, her period was going on, she sang. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. My goodness. You got Jacob the nephew that was willing to lie and be deceitful to get the blessing from Esau. He then goes meets his match and his uncle that was willing to be lying and deceitful to get 20 years out of labor with him and also change his wages. And now you got Rachel, his wife, and also the daughter of Laban, who's willing to steal and lie about it. These are the people that the Lord chose to bring the Messiah through. Do you ever think about that? How often do we look at ourselves in the spiritual mirror of life and we stop and say, Lord, I quit. I'm full of so much sin. I can't lead my family. I can't pastor this church. I, I can't even keep myself away from the things of the world. I am such a spiritual mess. And I think this is where God says, have you ever studied out Jacob? He was a pretty big mess himself. Remember what Paul said in Romans 10. He said, God gave us these stories of the Old Testament saints for two reasons. One, for us to learn from them what to do, but also to learn from them what not to do. And we can learn from Jacob's life here of what works, what doesn't. And this is not one where we really can make a lot of good claims and say, hey, be like Jacob. Jacob made this decision. How did he make this decision? Verse 31, because I was afraid. Because I was afraid. Can you turn with me to 1 Kings 12, please? 1 Kings 12. Now, as we turn to 1 Kings 12, has anybody got any quick questions, comments here? But anything that we've covered in the first uh, section of our lesson tonight? Jody. Mm-hmm. What, today? No, yeah, I mean, you, you could go by them, but a lot of times what these little gods were, they were personal. This could have been something, it could have been something that Laban had actually taken and carved himself and created himself. Isaiah has a great passage about gods. And what he says in, in the book of Isaiah, he goes, you go find, I'm paraphrasing here greatly, he goes, you go find a chunk of wood. You cut half that wood off and cook your supper on it. Then the other half you carve into a god and you place it on your mantle and say, I worship you. Isaiah says, doesn't that sound dumb? Half of it was good enough to make a meal on, and the other half 
Estonia is, is your God. He goes, it makes no sense. So it's quite possible here that um, Laban had found this wood, this stone, this whatever, and made it himself. So I, I'm not trying to defend Laban. There could have been an emotional attachment to it. There could have been something, but it's probably something they carved themselves. Anybody else have anything here about this before we go on? Okay. Now, I want to talk about this for a second. Jacob based this decision on because he was afraid. Now, we know from the chapter before that the Lord had led him to leave. We know that because the Lord said that. We see that. But this time frame of leaving at night, he based that decision on fear. Real quick, please don't answer. What good comes out of making a decision based on fear? Has that ever worked out for you? You know, I think back that to my years in life. It's like, wow, Lord, that decision I made when I was totally scared, that was the best decision I've ever made in my life. No, the Bible makes it clear. You walk in faith, not fear. So when we're making decisions based on fear, we're not making that based on the faith of the Bible. We're making that based on what we see and analyze the situation. Jacob said, I left because I was afraid. He analyzed the situation. He realized it wasn't good. Laban's going to get out to get him, so I need to leave. Never good. I want to build on this. First Kings 12. We're talking about Jeroboam and Rehoboam. This is after Solomon had died. The kingdom is going to be split now. So what happens is there's going to be a group that takes the north, the group that's going to take the south. Jeroboam takes the north. Now what he realizes as the king of the northern tribes is that he doesn't have Jerusalem. That's kind of a big deal if you're a Jew. You don't, he doesn't have the temple. He doesn't have the Ark of the Covenant. He doesn't have anything. And so what he basically says politically is this. Every time my nation goes down to Jerusalem to worship, they're leaving my nation, going to another nation. This isn't good. This is not good business sense. So guess what he does? Verse 25, Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. Verse 26, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. That's the southern tribes. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people would turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. There is nothing like convenient worship. Well, that's too far. It's too much effort to put into it. It takes a lot of time. You know, I mean, think about this. I remember when I first started teaching Wednesday night 17 years ago, I remember they told me, listen, people work all day. They're going to be tired. Remember that as you're teaching. And that's something I've never forgot is that when people are coming on Wednesday nights, a lot of you have already put in a full day's work or you're going to get home and put in a day's work. Maybe you work third or something like that. And I've always respected the people that come out on Wednesday. The people on Sunday, my goodness, they're probably not even saved. But you people on Wednesday, you, you are, you're like the wise men that would go visit Jesus. You got it. You got this figured out. Now, the people listening to the Wednesday night message online, you're saved too. But the point is, what you see here in verse 28, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Business sense, let's make our own. So verse 29, sets one up in Bethel. He puts another one up in Dan. He's going to franchise these. Put these close enough. You don't have to go anywhere. Now, where did he get this wonderful advice from? Verse 26, Jeroboam said in his heart, We've used this point before. The most dangerous person you could speak to is yourself. The most dangerous person you could seek advice from is yourself. Because when you seek advice from yourself, you have nobody else to step in and say, that's not a good idea. The wisest person I've ever spoke to is me. I always agree with me. I always think I have good ideas. It's when this another person comes in and says, 
Now, I don't think that's biblical. My point is this. Jacob making decisions based on fear. I was afraid. I fled. How's that good? That's not faith. That's fear. Here's Jeroboam. I'll have a conversation with myself, and I'll plan this all out. Boy, and I see people do that. They sit down and they analyze it. They think about it. They rehash it all in their mind. And it just creates this firestorm of a problem. And usually I tell them in counseling, you think too much. You think too much. This is why it's important, biblically speaking, line it up with the Bible. Line it up with godly brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why the book of Proverbs says, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. I'm saying to brothers and sisters in the Lord, not saying, hey, tell me what to do, but saying, this is the idea I have. Do you see anything unscriptural about this? Do you see anything unbiblical about this? How many problems could we save if we just would have stopped and said, brother, sister in the Lord, does this line up with God, do you think? Instead of just talking about it with ourselves. Jacob makes this decision based out of fear. Never a good thing. Never a good thing. Let's see what happens, though. Now that they couldn't find the idols... Well, verse 36, Jacob was angry and rebuked. That is not a good translation. If you get into the real meaning of those words in Hebrew, he is not angry. He is angry. This is 20 years of frustration he now lets loose on. I mean, this is the rant of all rants from Jacob. What is my trespass? What is my sin that you've so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock, that which was torn to beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, in the day, and the drought consumed me. The frost by night, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years." I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen after my affliction and labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Now, I love righteous anger. Jacob's wrong. His wife stole the idols. Now, have you ever inserted foot into mouth? Or you let loose on somebody and you found out afterwards that they were right. Laban was right. Laban was right. Now, we can look in here and say, yeah, Laban was right, but Jacob had every right to be upset. Look at, no. No, this is what I call volcanoes, where somebody does something small and you let loose over decades of anger and frustration. And next thing you know, you're screaming, I remember last July, you did this. Boy, that that shows that's a heart of bitterness that you need to get over. So what's going on here is, yeah, in my flesh, I see Jacob. And if I was there, back there a few thousand years ago, I'd be like, you tell him, Jacob, man, you just go. But this is not a biblical response. It's an honest response. I'm glad they put it in the Bible. He really just should have done this. He basically just should have said, I personal opinion. Verse 36, I think that's pretty good. Verse 37, take away the exclamation point. That's pretty good. We should probably cross out 38, 39, 40, 41. And we should probably just end with 42. Let's bring God back into this. Because really, verse 42 is the good verse. Jacob is basically saying, I realize now for these two decades, the Lord watched out for me. Now, it took him two decades to learn that. 
And sometimes you're going through difficult times in life. I go through difficult times in life. And it's not until I get years past it, sometimes I step back and it's like, yeah, Lord, I see it now. I see what you did. Because the Lord got Jacob through this. There's no doubt about that. And now he sees this. Let's finish this up real quick. Verse 43, And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or their children whom they have born? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant between you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather in stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jagar Shadutha, but Jacob called it Galid, which both means the same thing, heap of witnesses. One is Aramaic, one is Hebrew. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name was called Galid, also Mizpah. Mizpah, which means watch. Because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives aside my daughters, although no man is with us, See God as witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is the pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness. And I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahar, the God of their father judged between us, and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Now, you may have seen this before. Verse 49, may the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent from one another. That's a very famous phrase in Christianity. If you look at the context of this, this is not a good phrase. You go into most Christian bookstores, you'll find verse 49 on some nice little picture and nice little framed plaque. And you see, wow, what a cool idea. My brother or sister is moving away. Verse 49, hey, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. And then you cry, you hug, and you go. If you look at the context of this, David is basically saying, no, the Lord watch you. The Lord watch you, because I can't trust you. Verse 50, does this not sound like a father-in-law? For any of you that are giving away your daughters at a wedding, verse 50, if you afflict my daughter, or if you take other wives aside my daughter, this is not fun. This is not good. This is frustration. And basically what it comes down to is verse 52, we're literally going to draw a line in the sand. Don't come back. This is not a peaceful parting. This is not loving. This is not good. This is flesh. But did you see, I think a key verse though is verse 53, Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. That phrase, the fear of his father Isaac, is a very unique name for God. And it's not used too often in the Bible. And to be honest, it means exactly what it says, the fear. But Jacob, I think, personal opinion, take it or leave it, I think what Jacob's saying is verse 53 is, I don't have to fear you, Laban, I have to fear God. I don't have to worry about you, Laban. I'm not worried about your line in the sand. I'm not worried about your threats toward me. I'm not worried about that in any way whatsoever. What I worry about, verse 53, is what Jehovah thinks of me. That's what I am concerned about. Because you see verse 54, Jacob is offering sacrifices. Jacob is being spiritual about this. Laban is being fleshly. You may look at then verse 53 and say, Well, Laban said, The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father. That word God is actually a very generic God, name for God. It could mean God like we call God, or it could not. We don't know. But this phrase, the fear of his father Isaac, is a personal name for God that Jacob is using to say, I don't care what Laban thinks. I care about what God thinks. Now, we're running out of time here, so I need to make this quick. I think this is an important point. Put this all together. 20 years, Jacob has been used and abused. 
Jacob is fleeing in the middle of the night by fear. Jacob is unlinting 20 years of frustration and anger, but he stops and he realizes, yeah, but it was God. God saw it all behind the scenes. The Lord did. The Lord took care of me. And I don't know what you're facing tonight, but the Lord sees behind the scenes and he'll take care of it. Number two, Jacob is not going to be fearful of Laban, his threats. Jacob realizes it's the fear of the Lord. Think about back what Jesus said. You can fear man that can take your body, but it's better to fear God that can take your soul and body. And that word fear means healthy respect, reverence for God. Am I fearful of God? You bet I am. It's not a shake in my boots afraid to pray to him. It's a healthy respect that when I get a chance to pray, I'm praying to the creator of the universe. That's powerful. So Jacob is saying, I know who I'm afraid of, and it's God. It's not you, Laban. And I think that's kind of a neat thing here. So we're a little bit late. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything before we go ahead and close up? I'll let you go there to word of prayer then. All righty. If not, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to live this. Help us to not make decisions based on fear, but faith. Help us, Lord, not to make the decisions based on talking to ourselves, but seeking you. Lord, help us to walk in faith, not fear. And Lord, thank you for being a God that sees. You see the struggles we face. You see the difficulties we're going through. Thank you for being a God that sees and hears. And we praise you for that in your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.